It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host this morning, and I'm not doing the show from a truck stop as I did last Sunday morning. Uh, I actually am back to normal, and Illinois and Nebraska was nice. Driving across Nebraska, all 400 miles of it, gives you some appreciation for what it must have been like to build the Transcontinental Railroad through Nebraska or to be a settler or a pioneer walking across Nebraska. Nebraska is over 400 miles long. It and Illinois, I believe, are the two, other than California, the two longest states in the in the Union. And I have to say, it's thinking about crossing Nebraska as tens of thousands of people did well over 150 years ago, quite a daunting task. But anyway, returning to the prairie state this morning, I'm going to talk for a moment about the Illinois duck stamp and why it's valuable. And the committee met this week. Uh, but it's something that if you don't duck hunt in Illinois, uh, there's no reason you would know about the duck stamp. But it's an example of how conservationists fund conservation. And in this case, how hunters, hunters and conservationists being generally one and the same, uh, fund conservation. The Illinois duck stamp goes back to the mid-1970s when a guy by the name of Jim Shear, who's a wonderful friend of mine and, and many of us, uh, led the effort to um, create a duck stamp for the state of Illinois, uh, believing that the waterfowl hunters in the state of Illinois would like to uh, contribute to habitat conservation where the um, waterfowl that come to Illinois uh, come from. And so um, Jim Shear led the effort uh, to do this, and it's been an incredible success. Uh, over the years, millions of dollars have gone to the Canadian Prairie, mostly through Ducks Unlimited, also more recently through the Delta Waterfowl Foundation, which is working on projects with hen houses, uh, duck nesting structures in Manitoba, and other land securement work. And DU has long done lots of habitat work on the Canadian prairies going back to the 1930s. But what's of interest and why I mention this is the duck stamp in Illinois is driven by science. You've heard me speak often on this show that Illinois is often not governed by science. In fact, I would say it's a rarity that uh, Illinois makes decisions in natural resources, and this is not an affront to the professionals who run the National Resources Department in Illinois. Rather, it's the reality that politicians in Illinois um, control how the money is spent. And I think we we need no look for, look no further forward than the, the complete debacle that is Sparta, the international trap shooting facility that was built in southern Illinois uh, with not a hotel within something like 60 miles and at the end of the world when uh, in the state of Illinois, impossible to get to, when the Displains Conservation Area was sitting right here just outside of Chicago, and the decision was pretty clear. From a scientific point of view, from a business point of view, 
from every point of view you could think of, you would put the largest trap and sporting sport, uh, sporting clay shooting facility in the world right here outside of Chicago and display the displays uh, conservation area where literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people could, could utilize it, could come for competitions. It would be a, a, a facility that people flew into from all over the country to, to participate in competitions. But as we now, as we know, they placed it in Sparta, Illinois, instead a place that absolutely nobody can get to. And it's been an abysmal failure ever since the Illinois duck stamp committee, on the other hand, has been a great success. And one of the things that strikes me as a great credit to the committee, which has basically fought off all attempts to be politicized through the years, is that they stuck to the science. And in Illinois, the overwhelming majority of ducks that come through the state of Illinois come from the prairie provinces of Saskatchewan and Manitoba. 27, 23% of the birds produced in Saskatchewan are, uh, are harvested, were made up the Illinois harvest. So 22% of the Illinois duck harvest came from birds from Saskatchewan, and 18% came from birds from, from Manitoba. Um, that is the Perry Prothole region where Illinois duck stamp funds have been spent, uh, made up 87% of the harvested birds in the state of Illinois. So Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, North and South Dakota, uh, that's where Illinois ducks come from. Illinois duck stamps have been spent in Saskatchewan and Manitoba since the beginning, thanks to the good work of Jim Shear and those who created Henry Barkhausen and those who created the duck stamp to begin with went back in the old Department of, of Conservation. So while the state has gone off the rails, in a lot of ways, it's stuck to the science when it comes to waterfowl, and everybody benefits. While only duck hunters and goose hunters in Illinois have to buy a state duck stamp, all of us in Illinois who enjoy seeing migratory birds have benefited from this as the projects that have been done through the Illinois duck stamp program through the years have raised lots of birds. They've raised cranes, they've raised herons, they've raised songbirds, they've raised wetland dependent birds, they've raised shorebirds. So the duck stamp in a way is, <laughs> that's what it's called, but it benefits so many things. And it, and it once again goes to show just how important hunters are to conservation. And if there's one thing that we continuously try to hear in this, that we not try to hear, that we do hear in this era of, of what I'll call ballot box politics and, and trying to diminish the, the importance of hunters is the hunters have consistently paid the bills, which have benefited all of us. And, and obviously you know how I feel about hunting. I believe in ethical hunting, I believe in lawful hunting, and I think it's part of our heritage, and I actually think it's part of our rights. Uh, and I know many of you listening do. A few bad apples cannot be allowed to spoil the whole thing. There are always people in society, whether you're playing golf, there's a guy who cheats or a lady who cheats. Uh, the same happens in hunting. There are people who shoot over their limit or shoot out of season or shoot too early or shoot too late, um, whatever it is. And actually, those are not sportsmen and women. Those are poachers and they should not be considered hunters. They instead should be considered exactly what they are, poachers, criminals, who are stealing from all of us the right to continue to do something that we cherish so much and we've worked so hard to protect 
work so hard to enhance, work so hard to ensure its future. So while I'm wondering on this just for a second, the state duck stamp has nothing to do, obviously, with law enforcement. But the fact that we do have very serious penalties for people who abuse our game is a good thing. The state duck stamp committee has done its work once again this year, this week, and will be sending Illinois duck stamp funds to Canada to be used in wetland restoration projects that will raise all kinds of migratory birds for the state of Illinois. It's a great thing. And if you're not a duck hunter in Illinois or a goose hunter, it still would be great if you purchased state duck stamp because those funds are going to do wonderful work that are helping to ensure migratory birds, wetland dependent birds in particular, are going to fill Illinois skies for a long way to long time to come. So many, many years ago when Jim Shear had the idea to start the state duck stamp with Tony Dean, they started a heck of a project. And Jim Shear is still around, thankfully, to to see the results of the fruits of his labor something to be very proud of. Once again, another example of where private citizens led the Department of Natural Resources, then the Department of Conservation, and the leg- it was a legislative act to do something that was really important. It goes to show how private initiatives, when well thought out, can create gr- great public policy, and certainly that's what the duck stamp did. Before I take a break, I do want to say that it, things are in pretty good shape right now on the prairies, Water-wise, we are in February. There's been good snow. We, we certainly know that March and April can be, and May can be the turning point, but we are in a situation where snow seems to be, snow cover seems to be pretty good through some of the critical areas of the prairie pothole country. I'll be back in just a moment, and when I do, I'm going to talk about water in the West. I promised I'd talk about this last week and how it impacts all of us here in the Midwest. Thanks for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. I'll be back in just a moment. But first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money. Spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you very much for being with me. I'm going to switch, as I said I would, to what is going on in the American West. And that's a story that is, is just has to be get front and center and cannot be a story that is one that we put on the front page and forget about it. I don't think we're going to. 
I was in Salt Lake last week, and I was visiting with individuals who are working on the Great Salt Lake and what's taking place. And as you've heard me stay on the air several times, and we were early on this, there's now been a lot written about it. Um, the Great Salt Lake is at record low levels, and it is potentially in, uh, in a death spiral, which could lead to its very uh, it's ceasing to exist. I, I'm going to be an optimist and say, let's hope that doesn't happen. There was a report, a very alarming report, put out uh, a few weeks ago by a number of, of scientists who said that um, the Great Salt Lake would be gone in five years. I don't think that's going to happen, but certainly we're on a trend that would indicate the Great Salt Lake is in great peril. And if the Great Salt Lake disappears, whether it's five years or 50 years, there's going to be one of the largest human migrations out of anywhere that's ever occurred because it will be virtually impossible to live in the state of Utah, especially along the Wasatch Front where some two and a half million people live. The dust storms would be, would be absolutely apocalyptic. The, uh, the chemicals that are both natural and man-made that sit at the bottom of the lake that haven't been uh, seen daylight ever, uh, ever being a long time, but certainly since the last glaciers, they contain contaminants that uh, would make it incredibly toxic to live there, and you couldn't breathe the air. And it's not just Salt Lake; it would be, it could be for hundreds of miles to the east, north, and south that uh, people would be have their health compromised. There's naturally occurring arsenic in the lake bed, which is laid underwater, well, under ice and underwater for uh, for tens of thousands of years, not longer, and uh, maybe hundreds of thousands of years, and as that becomes exposed, the lake bed dries out, the dust particles get blown up in the air, and and microscopic um, particles of of arsenic uh, will be flying around. That's not some ethereal um, statement. That's absolutely fact, which is why so many people are focusing on the Great Salt Lake. I mentioned a few weeks ago that there's going to be a new IMAX giant screen movie made on the Great Salt Lake. It can't come soon enough. It's called Secrets of Great Salt Lake, and I'm certainly very happy to be a to be an advocate for that movie, as I was for Wings Over Water, which is an attempt using IMAX on the giant screen to draw attention to the prairie wetlands. This film will draw attention to the Great Salt Lake and what it means for migratory birds from Alaska to Chile, what it means for the fishing industry, it being the largest brine shrimp uh, incubator, in fact, incubator, it's the largest place where brine shrimp live in the world, and brine shrimp are, are the one of the number one commercial um, catches out of the Great Salt Lake, and they make dog food and cat food and all kinds of food uh, for millions of millions of animals and also used in, in human foods. There's a lot at stake here. Uh, so you're going to hear more about the Great Salt Lake um, in the uh, in the coming weeks, months, years, this year, uh, certainly um, it looks as though we uh, are going to see, because of all the snow that's taken place in the Wasatch Front, we're going to see a bit of a reprieve um, this year, but it's probably temporary. I'll talk in the future about some of the solutions that are, are taking place, or they hope to take place. But I have to switch gears on another water thing. Uh, 
because water is, after all, we, we know the lifeblood. There's a fight over California's ancient water. The question is, is it legal to drink 10,000-year-old water? Um, the answer is it's legal, apparently, but is it right? So a group of scientists have uncovered in the Mojave Desert in California uh, a reservoir that has been trapped there for 10,000 years. And um, it's about a, um, it could be one of the largest underground reservoirs of water, be like a pool of oil or gas. In this case, it's water. But um, it's a trapped reservoir. Uh, They're believed there might be as much as 34 million acre feet of water, uh, which an acre foot would be 34 million acres, one feet foot deep. Um, And there's a company called Cadets Inc., which is trying to extract this water. They've drilled 300 feet below the desert surface to reach this massive Ferner aquifer, as it's called. Um, and there is a question. This is, this is not an aquifer that's going to be replenished. So um, the question is, is it right to take this water, 34 million acre feet, and drain, the, drain this aquifer, which will then, at least as far as we can tell, forever, not be replenished until we have some kind of ice age or something again. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an ethical question, and I, and I think it's one that we, we really need to work to, to wrestle with. And it, do you take something that we know is irreplaceable? We've been taking oil and gas for over 100 years and, well, 150 years, and we know that's irreplaceable, and when it's gone, it's gone. So is water any different? Um, is should it be any any different to go and extract water from a tenth from a reservoir that could in fact help uh, create improve the quality of life and raise all kinds of of crops uh, in the in the desert southwest and go to California and be used by by people or should we say no this is this is irreplaceable it's different than oil it's different from gas. Um, I'm not sure why it is. I'm not advocating one way or the other. But the very fact is we have discovered, we, the private sector, has discovered this incredible, incredible resource of water buried under California in the Mojave Desert, 34 million acre feet of water. It would be a lot of water at a time when people need it, when we're dealing with record low water levels on Lake Mead and and elsewhere in the West. Just raise it to have you think about it. Should we do it or not? I don't know. But certainly it goes to show what we can do with science. We might find water somewhere else. We didn't know it existed. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back with much more of the Great Outdoors show next week. Hope you have a great week in the Great Outdoors. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.